Uh, we're going to do now what we do each Sunday. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, Bible app, any way to access the Scriptures, if you'll turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and when you found that, if you're able, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to start just at verse 31 of the previous chapter, just to give us some building and context here. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now here's our passage. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, we ask you to illumine the preaching of your word. Um, break down every barrier in between us and what it is you want to accomplish in this word and through it. Um, I believe that you have inspired this word to be written. This is not simply a historical document, but a living word, and we ask that that living word would touch us and minister to us this morning exactly as you intended. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Most of you will undoubtedly be familiar with those famous words of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, which she spoke and which whisked her back to the familiar faces and surroundings of her home in Kansas. Words which, uh, you know, the good witch Glinda later told her um, she could have spoken at any time, just simply speak the words, and she would have been uh, freed from the harrowing ordeal that she was experiencing in Oz and brought back to the peace and safety of home. She, right? she just needed to say those words, click the, the heels of her ruby slippers that she'd been gifted when she first arrived, and she'd be there. Which, I don't know, I mean, maybe she was just caught up in the excitement of the fact, like, I'm finally going home, but if I'm Dorothy... Like, I'm, I'm kind of choked by that, honestly. Like, to, to, like that, that nobody said that to me. Maybe retroactively choked later on as I think about it. Just like, I had the, the means to get home the whole time. I was literally wearing them, and just nobody bothered to bring up that little tidbit of information. Oh, yeah, just click the heels together, and you're, you're there. That, that would have, I would have been unhappy about that. Um, but I do think that's actually... That idea of she had the means to get home and just didn't know it, I think that's actually a great picture, illustration of where we're going to be going today as we look at this passage, Genesis chapter 2, and talk about the origin of rest. Because if you didn't know, if you're just like here with us for the first time, we've been in this brand new teaching series we started two weeks ago entitled Origin Story looking at with this idea that in order to truly understand and appreciate the New Testament story of Jesus, we need to understand the origin of that story, which the Old Testament gives to us. So far, we've looked at the origin of everything, 
from the creation account that we have in Genesis chapter 1, which shows us at least Jesus as the author of all creation, as well as the fact that everything he made was very good. And then last Sunday, we looked at the origin of us. And I tried as best as I could anyway to help us understand what it means and why it matters that every man, woman, and child is said to be made in the image and likeness of God. But today, we're looking at the origin of rest, what the Bible often refers to as Sabbath, which, this is going to take at least a little unpacking, I'm going to argue, just like Dorothy's ruby slippers were gifted to her, rest, Sabbath, is also a gift that's been given to us, a gift that, that we've had the whole time, we still have, right up until this day, and which can bring about freedom. Freedom from all the things that are stressful, exhausting, and overwhelming to us. The key difference being between those two things, ruby slippers and rest, is that where Dorothy didn't know she had the means of freedom from all her stresses and struggles the whole time, yeah, we absolutely know. We, we know that we have been given this gift. In fact, over and over again, the Bible affirms and tells us in no uncertain terms, we have this gift that can bring about rest available to us in this gift of Sabbath. And yet, despite knowing we have this gift, we almost never make use of it. And we're not bothered by it, even knowing that we have it and not making use of it. Which would literally be the same as like, if, if Glinda had come to Dorothy the moment she got the red slippers and just told her right at the beginning, like, hey, FYI, just so you know, whenever you're ready to get out of here, just click the heels, say these words, and you're out. And then she just never did it. She knew she had the means to get home, but still decided not to use the slippers. She's like, no, I'm going to do a long, dangerous, harrowing journey to the Emerald City. I'll ask the wizard there to help me get home and just never use the slippers. We'd be like, Why you? but you can do that. You don't need that. It's literally the same as that. We have the means. We just almost never make use of it. And the result is, the result of having, and yet rarely, if ever, using this gift, is, I don't care who you are today. You're a student. You are a parent. You are a professional of some kind. Even if you're retired, the result of having this gift and not using it is, Man, we're all exhausted, aren't we? Anybody else tired in here? I, I am tired a lot of the time. We're just, and we're just moving at this frenetic pace of life day in and day out that, oh, yeah, yeah, technology was supposed to help us with, supposed to make it easier. Oh, yeah, the AI will do that or whatever. And all of a sudden, it turns out it's actually allowed us to be even more busy than we've ever been at any other point in history and yet feeling powerless to do anything about it. Because no matter what else we try, no matter how many vacations we take, how many pills we take, no matter how many nights off we take, which is just like binge-watching Netflix or TikTok videos, whatever it is, it never seems to be enough in order to bring about that ever-elusive, rested feeling. In fact, I loved slash hated what John Mark Homer said once about this whole missed opportunity, noting that ultimately every travel agency, every Better Homes and Gardens magazine, every Ikea catalog is really trying to sell you the very rest the Bible says we were designed for, that God actually built into the fabric of the universe, and which we already possess as a gift from our Creator. 
we look at that catalog and back, man, if I just had that, whatever, I don't know how they say it, the Farfarnugan bed with the special, this kind of down cover and those whatever pillows, man, that looks so good. It's, it's pointing to what we were designed for, that, that rest, and it's trying to sell it to us. It's using it to sell us stuff. So what I want to do today is just look at together how we get back to using that gift again, how we get back to seeing what it is and understanding it, realizing that this is the gift we've been given. And we're also going to look at how this origin story in particular sets us up to better understand the hope of our final rest one day in heaven. So today we're just going to look at two things, recovering the gift of Sabbath and then responding to the call of Sabbath. Just those two things, okay? Recovering the gift and responding to the call of Sabbath. So if you closed your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever you're using, if you could open it again, follow along with me as we dive into this together and look at the origin of rest. Okay, so let's look first of all at recovering the gift of Sabbath. Recovering the gift of Sabbath. So if you look back at verse 1 of our passage here, you see that following the morning and evening of the sixth day, which we looked at last week where God creates all humanity in His image and likeness, God has completed the creation of everything that He has set out to create. And as we saw there in verse 31, everything that He made, very good. It's perfect. It's as it should be and as He intended. And as we come now to the seventh day of creation in verse 2, we see the first reference to God resting there from all His work. Again, the author of Genesis says, By the seventh day, God had finished all the work that He'd been doing, so on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Which right off the bat probably needs just a little bit of explaining because a question that might immediately come to your mind as you read that is, what does it look like for God to rest? What do you think? What does that look like? I mean, what do you get for the person who has everything? What does rest look like for God to do? I mean, sure. I mean, listen, creating the universe and everything in it, including us, that's, that's no small task. I'm not surprised that he would need to rest. Um, that's certainly more than any of us has got on our to-do list in the given day. But I don't know. For me, I ask the question because it does something to our perception of God, at least it does to mine, to think about God getting tired. Think about him needing to like sit down and rest. It kind of like does something to my perception of him to think of that. What you need to know is that the word that we have translated as rest or rested here in verses 2 and 3 is the Hebrew word Shabbat, from which we get the term Sabbath. And when literally translated, that word just means to stop or to cease. So what's important to realize is that in seeking to understand this passage, in no way is God resting in the sense that he's tired. Okay, He's not like fatigued in some way and he needs to sit down and rest. In the simplest terms then, what this passage is actually saying to us is that when God had completed all that he'd intended to create, wait for it, he stopped working. He ceased from working. Which, yeah... When you realize what it's actually saying, it seems like one of the most obvious, self-evident conclusions ever stated. It'd be like saying, when the bowl of popcorn was empty, I stopped eating popcorn. Yeah, that, that's what one does, actually. So it, it, it makes it kind of feel like, um, why even bother writing this? 
<laughs> you know, like, what was the point of even putting this in here? Until, that is, I asked myself the question, okay, Wes, um, when was the last time you ever felt like you completed everything you wanted to do? Can you even remember a day when you felt like you'd completed everything you wanted to get done? Okay, I can't. I'm, I'm struggling to remember what it is. Like, okay, so maybe completed everything I needed to get done? Maybe. Sometimes. Hopefully often. And there, there's certain, like maybe the best among us feel like uh, they can go to bed at night satisfied with the fact that they did everything they were able to do in a day. But most of us, my guess is if you're at all like me, the majority of us go to the bed feeling like we didn't accomplish half of what we wanted to get done that day with the awful, hopeless prospect of, I'm going to get up tomorrow and do that again and feel like this as I go to bed at the end of the day. Which means, first of all, it's no wonder we're so tired. <laughs> it's no wonder. Secondly, it means maybe, just maybe, God knew something about our human nature particularly what it would be after the fall and our proclivity to overwork, that we would never be able to feel like we could cease from working, that he knew he'd need to create something on this day. He'd need to create the Sabbath. He'd need to weave something like Sabbath rest into the very fabric of the universe. Not, not only so we would just stop long enough to enjoy the work we'd done, to be thankful for the work we'd done, but because he probably knew we wouldn't survive as a human race if he didn't put this in. Some of you might remember from our teaching series two summers ago, we went through the Ten Commandments. We talked about the Fourth Commandment in particular, commandment to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We learned in that message, the Japanese have actually developed a word for people that die from overwork, karoshi. They've actually developed a term for what that is for people who die from working too much. Another author noted, in the final stages of burnout, he said, people often speed up to avoid confronting their unhappiness. Which means, lastly, man, what an incredible gift this is to us. What a life-saving gift is the idea of building in a rhythm of rest into how life is supposed to work. Pastor and author John Tyson put in his book, Beautiful Resistance, he says, I know of no more formative and countercultural practice for a culture of exhaustion than that of the Sabbath. In a 24-7 world, 24-6 living is a sign, wonder, and prophetic declaration that there is another way to live. To which I know some of you thoughtful people listening right now might be wondering, right, right, hey, thanks for bringing up the Ten Commandments, actually. Funny that you should say that. In what sense can we call the command of God a gift to us? Someone says, you must do this, obey this command. How is that a gift again? Well, in order to answer the question, first of all, I'd say you've got to go back to our YouTube page. Listen through this series. It will explain it much more fully than uh, I'm going to do right now. But just for time's sake... You need to remember that our passage here in Genesis 2 is actually the origin story of that fourth commandment as well. So you go back to Exodus 20, right? After immediately after commanding, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. The Bible says, for in six days God made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. On the seventh day he rested. So that's the origin of the commandment. And when we go back and start reading before that commandment even came, 
we learn, if you don't know this story, God, he brings his people out of slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And the Bible tells us that God fed his people each day with a bread-like substance that fell from heaven called manna, which they were to collect every day in order to survive as they made their journey to the promised land, except on the seventh day, which for them would have been Saturday, which ended up being this kind of like Sabbath boot camp, Sabbath training school uh, out in the wilderness where they would collect God's provision of food six days a week, but they would collect twice as much on Friday because on Saturday no manna would fall, so there they wouldn't, they wouldn't be any work to do. They'd have to cease from their work because there was nothing to collect. So this is kind of what the idea of what was happening. But So they would do this for their whole time in the wilderness until they reached the promised land. And there, as Joshua leads them in, we're told that the moment they crossed the river into the promised land, ate the food from the promised land, the manna stopped falling. So that's what's been happening up until now. And so the point of this Sabbath commandment then is God, it's a gift because all God's doing is saying to his people, remember the Sabbath, keep that same pattern. Keep that same rhythm of work and rest that you've just been training to do for the last 40 years. That, that's what I want you to keep doing. Keep that up. Don't give up that pattern because that's actually how I've designed the universe to work. That's how I've designed you to work. And as C.S. Lewis put it, you can't go against the grain of the universe and expect not to get slipped splinters. I've designed the universe to work this way. When you go against it, it's not going to work out. And, and we're just living proof of that. Walter Brueggemann thinking about the wilderness Sabbath training ground, put it this way. So the celebration of a day of rest was the announcement of trust in this God who is confident enough to rest. It was then and is now an assertion that life does not depend on our feverish activity of self-securing, but that there can be a pause in which life is given to us simply as a gift. But of course, to even talk about needing to recover the gift of Sabbath means that just as in Jesus' day, we've lost sight of this, right? We, we, we know this is here. We know we've got the slippers, if I could say it that way, but we're just, we're not using it, right? Our hands are, are full of splinters, I guess you could say, because we often go against the way God designed the universe to work. So it means what we really need to do is to find a way to return, find a way to heed the patient unwavering call of Sabbath to us, which is the last thing I want to look at together with you, uh, re responding to the call of Sabbath. Responding to the call of Sabbath. And the, one of the primary places you see that need to respond to that call of Sabbath, where, where you see that need in the Bible, is, I mean, classic place, the Pharisees, uh, teachers of the law in Jesus' day, men who, in their zealous desire to follow God, be obedient to the law perfectly, lost the plot entirely. I mean, these guys, uh, uh, they, they, it, was, it was this idea that the Sabbath is given as a gift, but they're so intent on doing it their way, they just, they lose the plot. So what was intended to be as a gift became this unbearable burden to carry, something that we must do. You must obey the Sabbath, rather than something that and I get to do as a gift that God's given to me, completely flipped to this thing that we have to do now. As Jesus warned those who looked at the Pharisees as examples of spiritual life and blessing from God, he, he described them as those who tie up heavy, burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders. 
They did this with all the law, but, but very much so to the Sabbath. That was absolutely one of the places they did this a lot. And if you just think about the number of times that Jesus is in trouble with the Pharisees, the number of times he's on the hot seat with them, and how many times it has to do with observance of the Sabbath. They're always just like, but you did that on the Sabbath. Yeah, you healed someone, but it was on the Sabbath. Like, they just can't get over that. They, that he's not following the Sabbath properly, which to them meant following the like hundreds of laws that they'd put around the actual law in order to make sure it wasn't broken. You're not following it properly. Which can you even imagine, like someone coming up to you and, and you're using something that you made and them saying, no, no, that, that's not how you use it. That's wrong. Sorry? Mm, yeah, tell, tell me more about that. How, how should I use this thing that I made? Like, it's unbelievable, these guys. So that's how you see this need to listen to or respond to the call in the Bible in our day. Uh, it's no better. We see that exact same need to respond to the call. The difference is that responding to the call of the Sabbath for us is not in our rigorous Sabbath observance, but the fact that basically we just leave it off entirely. Prizing, really championing those in our culture who, who work the most and rest the least as the greatest among us. Those are the greatest ones. I mean, just think about any awards show you've seen recently, sports, business, entertainment. Think about how often you hear people saying, this person just eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff. Like, they don't even rest. They're just so committed to this. And we're just like, oh, amazing. You didn't rest at all. You just gave everything and every day to this project. And we, we champion people for that. It isn't for a moment to say that things like great effort and achievement don't matter to God and they shouldn't matter to us. No, they do. Absolutely. We, we should honor and prize the sacrifices of other people who make to do great things. We should. But when the cheers and applause of other people, or really the never-ending demands of self-sufficiency, come at the cost of operating within the rhythms of how God designed you, you really think you can just live with, like, foot-to-the-floor red-line existence your whole life without consequence. And we have no one to blame but ourselves when the proverbial like red light comes up on the dashboard again and again, and eventually the car needs to be taken off the road indefinitely. We just, you, just, you can't go against how the design was made and think there won't be a consequence to it. And yet, into that frantic frenetic pace of life so many of us are operating on a daily basis comes Jesus the one by whom and for whom all things were made with this loving call come unto me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which means what exactly? Like, how do I put that in, in life context? Because I don't know if it's like you. Most of us today are, are kind of panicked, maybe even begrudging. Certainly understandable response to that call is, okay, How? How? Like, what, what does that mean? Chilling? Take a load off? Put your feet up? Is that, is that what you, I mean, sounds good. That sounds like a lovely idea. Unfortunately, 
Jesus. Sabbath isn't going to pay the rent this month. Resting isn't going to put food on the table for my family. So how? What do you mean, come to me and I'll give you rest? It's a great question. It's one I think we need to be able to at least try and answer, lest Jesus' call to rest is rejected, not because we don't need it or want it, but because we kind of think maybe it's just not for people like us. Working class people, we don't have time to, to rest. We, we need to survive, right? Well, again, the first thing I'd want to remind you of is what the actual commandment from Exodus 20, which again, uh, our, our passage is the origin story for that commandment. The, the passage actually says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. So six days. Some of us are like, whoa, whoa wait, uh, but Saturday's the day off. What do you mean work six days? As I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for this, okay? I'm just saying the actual command, if we're literally following that commandment from the Old Testament, that's what it actually requires. So six days of work and just one that you would take rest and you cease from working. That's what the actual command actually is. That's maybe more work than a lot of us do already. But secondly, I'd want to point you back to the origin practice of the Sabbath that was experienced by God's people in the wilderness. Let's think back to that story again, this daily gathering of provision of manna. Interestingly, the daily command was to gather only what they needed for that day, which, I mean, that in itself is, a, is probably a helpful work practice we could all think about putting into our lives, like just enough for the day. What's enough for today to be done? If they tried to gather more, right, it would rot. And then uh, they were only permitted to gather more on that one day, the day before the Sabbath. They could grab twice as much that day because none would fall the rest day. That's the rhythm that they were in for those 40 years. And when you zoom out, what you begin to see is that this weekly rhythm of gathering only as much as they need and then ceasing to gather on the Sabbath was ultimately teaching them to rely on God's provision. It was teaching them to rest in Him rather than in their own self-preservation. i got to make this happen. i got to do this because no one's going to look out for me but me. He's trying to break that pattern, that idea out of them, right? If they tried to take more because they didn't trust that God was going to give manna the next day, it would just rot. They couldn't keep it. If they didn't trust that no manna was going to fall on the Sabbath day and they failed to collect twice as much as the day before, they'd go hungry. These were training wheels that helped get them into that mindset. In fact, even if you look again at Jesus' call to Sabbath in Matthew 11, you'll notice it has nothing to do with chilling, nothing to do with taking a load off, but working really in a different kind of way. It's a different mindset about work, a different way of thinking about work and taking on a different kind of load. I love uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' call in Matthew 11. I think it's a helpful in way of hearing his call in a fresh way like he intended it. He, he paraphrases Jesus' words this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Which takes us back to the same question, which 
means what exactly, though? Same question. What, what does that mean? How do I do that? Well, I think where it starts is in remembering Jesus' words to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, that man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. Okay? God didn't create Sabbath and then say, I need some people to put on earth so they can obey this. It was made for us. It's God's gift to us. Responding to the Sabbath is first and foremost reminding us that it's a gift to you, not something you need to add to your to-do list. It's a gift to you. Secondly, as it relates to the Sabbath commandment and the origin of it, I think responding to the call of Sabbath means about learning to rest in God's provision for us. Or again, as Brueggemann put it, asserting that life does not depend on our feverish activity of self-securing. To rest in God's provision, again, has nothing to do with not working or trying to like provide for your family or their needs, but how I work. Again, it's shifting our mindset of how we work. So I, I, I think about work differently. I consider my work choices differently. How much am I going to work? Will I work overtime? What days will I take off? I answer those questions differently when I start with the premise that God's going to provide for all my needs. It's not all up to me. He will provide. I'm going to think differently about work if I really believe that. Lastly, I think a part of responding to the call of Sabbath is about learning the difference between relaxation and rest, that those are not the same thing. As John Tyson put it, relaxation is not the same thing as rest. A multi-episode, visually stimulating show can shift our minds away from the problems in our lives, but our souls are rarely restored through entertainment. Restoration comes through rest. Relaxation, though good, will not do deep enough work. There's a difference between those two things. Which means, okay, so here's really the call of Sabbath. We need to be students of ourselves. Be a student of yourself. Learn what are the things that I do that leave me feeling actually restored. Spiritually, physically, mentally, socially. And it's going to be personal to you. I'm not going to give you a list right now because what are the things that make you feel restored physically, spiritually, mentally, socially? And then doing those things, making those things a part of a weekly pattern of rest. And maybe you don't start with a full day. Maybe, maybe that's not where you're at. Maybe you start with a half day. Start with a half day. Like the rest of today, I'm going to try to practice rest, these things that really actually restore me and I, I guarantee you, the more you do that, you're going to want to extend more of that time to the full day because it actually is doing the work that God designed it to do in you. But it also means being honest with ourselves. Being honest with ourselves about those things in my life that while enjoyable and relaxing, I know, are really just about distracting me from how busy my life is. Those things that are just numbing me from the pain of the violence I'm doing to my body and soul than actually restoring me. And then just increasingly cutting those things out of my life as, as I'm able. I'm not, not just on Sabbath, but at all. What are those things I'm doing, right? Which I'll be honest with you is maybe one of the hardest parts of all about responding to the call of Sabbath. And this is something, I mean, my wife will 100% testify to you. This is one that I'm... I stink at, like I'm, I'm not good at this, and I'm learning to try to do this better. 
um, because I have the same proclivity to overwork and, and my worth comes through achievement and how much I can get done. So I need to be honest with myself. Responding to the call of Sabbath, what's truly restorative and restful and what's just about distracting me from how busy I am? Tyson, last time, says it this way. We may ache for peace in our world, but many of our lifestyles are a form of violence to ourselves and those we love. We all long to shift beyond the craziness of our lives and yet are rarely willing to touch the rhythms and habits that create the need for simplification in the first place. We don't, we don't want to do that look at ourselves because it's like, well, I, don't, I, I like that. I don't want to give that up. Even though it's not leaving us rested, it's not leaving us restored, we need to begin to swap out those things for the things that actually leave us experiencing the Sabbath rest that God intended for us. Okay, I know I've given us a lot here. <laughs> I've given us a lot to, to process, to think about. And my prayer for us is that through the rest of today, and really into the rest of this week, that you'll begin to respond to Jesus' call to Sabbath rest. Return to seeing it as a gift that God has given us in this life, and then doing that, that work of self-study. What is it for you? What are the things that leave you feeling restored and then beginning to practice them more and more on a weekly basis. Work those rhythms into your weekly practice. But in closing, I wanted to leave you with one last thing that this origin story points us towards, helps us to understand in the New Testament story of Jesus, which has to do with Jesus' return, his coming to set up the new heavens and the new earth described in Revelation. For Again, thinking back to the people of Israel in the wilderness. Throughout their wanderings in the wilderness, God would often refer to his people's eventual entering into the promised land under Joshua's leadership as entering into his rest. Or when you enter into your rest, which by which he meant resting from their wilderness wanderings, where they would at last come to the promised land and set up home. When you enter into my rest. But then in the book of Hebrews, we, we read of the future hope to which that story of entering into the promised land was pointing. We're referring to Israel's 40-year wandering in the desert. And they're actually their inability to enter into the promised land because they didn't trust God. They didn't believe him enough to follow into the promised land, which is why it took them 40 years. It wasn't a 40-year journey. But we read this, sorry, Hebrews chapter 4. He says this, now remember, he's writing here to the church. He's writing to us. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, <clears throat> Jesus called to come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That offer still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declare it on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. He's quoting from David here, Psalm 95. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. 
And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter rest. Therefore, stay with me here, since it still remains for some, not all, some, some of us are still not going to get it. Some of us still won't respond. Since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear Jesus call to you today, Come to me. I have a rest for you. Don't harden your heart to that call. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Which means not only is the rest Jesus invites us into something we can experience and enjoy in this life. It's also something he invites you and invites me to experience with him for all eternity in, in our forever home. That, that's what entering into the promised land was a picture pointing to, entering into God's rest. All who, as the author of Hebrews puts it here, don't harden our hearts, uh, do not seek to find rest in our own ways, but, but look to Jesus. Combine faith with Jesus' offer of rest and what he did on the cross to make that offer of rest available and make our home in Jesus. We experience rest both now as well as for all eternity. And man, I'll tell you, when your home is in Jesus, there truly is no place like home. So will you do it? Will I do that today? Will I put our trust in Jesus, or return to that trust in him again today? Will you believe him, that the need for Sabbath rest is both how he designed the universe to work as well as his gift to you, and begin practicing, making use of that gift which he's given to us, or will you continue to seek to find it on your own, seek to find rest on your own terms and in your own way, leaving the gift that has the power to bring you home unopened and unused? My prayer for each one of us today, myself included, is that we would make use of this gift. We would respond to that call and make our home in Jesus. And in so doing, find rest for our weary souls, both now as well as in the life to come. Amen. God help us.